you so much for the opportunity to speak. It's truly a privilege. It's a very feedbacky privilege. Um, yeah, I want to say thank you so much for the worship team. You guys are absolutely amazing, and you equip us to worship. And this morning, my dad actually reminded me of a story of something he saw in a movie once. And don't worry, they're going to sort out the feedback now. We do hear it. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so he was reminding me of a story this morning about something he saw in a movie. And in this movie, the people went to the church, and everything looked normal, but it was a beautiful summer's day. And the pastor went to the front, and he said, look at this beautiful day. Just go out and enjoy the day. There's no service today. I just want you to enjoy God's presence today. And unfortunately, the weather is freezing, so I can't try that trick. <laughs> what I can do, however, is I can say that I think after a worship session like that, I almost feel like our mission here today is complete because I think that's the main goal of church and just gathering together on a Sunday is to worship God. Um, for those of you who still want to stay for the after party of me preaching, like I said, we've got the, he, he actually lied, it's not a stopwatch, it's a calendar. Because all the kids are here, we're going to see how far we can stretch this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yes, as he mentioned, Freedom Kids are joining us in service here today. And I think one of my oldest memories in church was actually, obviously, being a child in church. And the only way my mother could actually get me to sit still for long enough was actually giving me a packet of jelly tots. I don't know if you've ever tried that trick, but I would nurse that bad boy for a good part of what felt like a four-hour service. And I don't know about the people behind me with the rattling and things, but at least it got me like to sit still. So if you have some of those kids in front of you, just bear with us and look at me and give the, give the parents some grace. But yeah, I think this week has been a big week of reminiscing and thinking about life and just our journey here at Freedom. Um, just as a bit of background, as some of you might know, we've, my wife and I have known Daryl and a large part of the eldership team for many years, and then our paths, our paths divided, and then we did some stuff over there, and they did some stuff over there, and then actually on our way to move to a different place, to move to the Western Cape, God led it on our hearts, let's come and visit and see what our friends are doing here in Freedom Church, and we just came for a visit before we we're going to move away, and then on our way home, God laid it on both my wife and my heart to move to Benoni, get planted, do something, get involved, and God said He would do the rest, and wow, what a year it's been. Um, I have to say, I've never in my life grown as much spiritually, I've never in my life grown as much relationally, like, I want to say I met friends here, but I met family, and the amount of people who have messaged us, the amount of people who have loved us. Thank you. And um, with all that good that comes and brings tears, there's also obviously some bad stuff because obviously some things have changed. We've seen Rudy being in church service. We've seen him being in the foyer and then outside. I was sort of expecting Daryl to move him out to, you know, to the cross the street because he was just like going further and further away. But thankfully, they moved him back in because of the weather. But yeah, it's, it's life, it's church. Church is like life. Because when you're a child, everyone does everything for you. They buy the jelly tots for you. When you get older, you're single and you look after yourself, and that's great. Because you only worry about yourself. Life's not that complicated. Then you get married, and then suddenly you need to reconsider when you're driving far, and someone says, are you hungry? You should interpret that as, I'm hungry, we want to stop. <laughs> and, and that's what we're supposed to know. But then you get kids, and then all the parents with this mix of 
life will never be the same. And, oh, get children. They're wonderful. It, you see life changing constantly. And it's with that balance of the good and the bad. Like, for example, we've had a broken screen there for I don't know how long. But thankfully, it looks like it's fixed. Sometimes the floors are dirty. Thanks, Gert, for organizing the team to clean that for us. And, and just so many good things and bad things always juggle. If we look at the country, people like thinking about things that could be better. We look at ESCOM, we look at the government, and then suddenly, yes, people get on a roll and they start complaining, or, or they start addressing things that could be better, because we don't like to use the word complaining in church. But unfortunately, if we look at church, life happens, and we're not the only church to think that some things could be better. So if you've got your Bibles here today, go to Acts 6, while I give you a little bit of context. Um, for those of you who don't have them, you're more than welcome to do this, or just look at the screens. We're going to be we're going to be putting that on the screen just in a few moments. But as a bit of context, the Bible is basically divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Old Testament tells us why this world is messed up the way it is. And the New Testament tells us how we can get saved from this messed up world, not go to hell, and live a good Christian life. And that is the Bible in a summary. But what we've also got is looking at the New Testament specifically. How do we live life as Christians? And the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us Jesus' life. Jesus' story, four different perspectives, same story, but it gives a little bit of color to the story, and that's great. But then the book directly after that is the book of Acts. Now, that's basically where we are in this season of our life. That tells us about the history of the first Christian church. And it's amazing to see the type of struggles they went through, going from Jesus leaving them, but giving them the Holy Spirit and being all confused, and then suddenly... We've got this thing now that we've got this objective. Jesus said, go and do what I need started, but you need to complete it. And everyone was confused. But that's when they received the Holy Spirit, and then they knew. Spread the gospel. Share the good news. Share everything that's great. And that's where we are today, because freedom is what, two years old now? Roughly two years old? And we've gone from one pastor to a hall that's still full, even though half of the congregation has gone on holiday. And that's great, because that's the type of place, because otherwise some people would have need to sit outside, and I know people would not have been happy. But in any case, let's continue from Acts 6, verse 1. Okay, it's on the board there for those. Yes, it's not cut off. Wonderful. Okay, so now in those days, as the, as the disciples were multiplied, there was a murmuring amongst the Hellenists against the Hebrews, because their widows were overlooked in the daily distribution. Now, for those of you thinking, what's the word Hellenist and the Hebrews? I thought we were Christians and Jews, and how does all this work together? Now, for all you people who know history and geography and all those things, please be with me. I'm going to break this down as simple as possible. But the Hebrews, the Israelis, and basically at that stage, a large part of the Hellenists were all the same type of people. Because the Hebrews and the Israels and the Jews, same group of people, same nationality, but if you're a Jew, you followed God. That's, that's the most important focus there. A Hellenist is someone who took on the Greek culture of the day. So you can be a Hebrew, but still be a Hellenist because you took on the Greek culture of the day. So it's the same group of people. This is before all the foreign nations were allowed to come into Christianity, if I can put it that way, before this actually happened in the church. So there was a divide in the church. Let's say this section of Hebrews and this section of Hellenists, but technically they were all the same people. 
It's like we have here in South Africa. We've got South Africans, but then you have the white South Africans, the black South Africans, the Indian and the Burkis, and that's great. But you can either have division or you can have unity as we just experienced here. And as we see in life, there is very often um, division. But what is very good about this is we also see wonderful things where people say, listen, there is a problem. Can we please try and fix it? Now, there's two ways to address a problem. One, we can complain about it, like a backseat driver who sits over here and says, please, can we fix this? And then go fix it. Or we can follow a good example and get involved. So if we continue from Acts 6 verse 2, so what happened after they complained? So the twelve called the multitude disciples together and said, It's not reasonable for us to leave the word of God and serve tables. Brothers, look amongst yourselves for seven men who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint over this duty. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now what basically happened here? They took this problem to the church leaders. And they said, okay, listen, we've got a problem. The first thing the church leaders did which, which I think is wonderful, is they did not say, okay, yes, but it's not our fault, or no, there isn't a problem. They admitted. They said, yes, okay, fair enough. You've got a point. Things are a bit shaky. We're missing, you know, we're missing the point. We're dropping the ball. That's cool. But what I also respect about what they did was they said, listen, guys, God has placed this in our heart. We need to focus here, not because we're lazy, not because we don't have anything else, but because this is on our plate at the moment. We can't do this and that. And they got that the church is not Daryl being up here or apparently on holiday or something like this. The church is not the leadership. The church is us, all of us. Like two weeks ago, I was helping over there, and then I was helping at coffee, and then we're here. And then all of us have a responsibility, and that's what they got. And that's why they said, let's get seven guys together, because obviously if you've got seven guys to do it, this was not talking about five or six people who are not getting food. This is a large group of people. And they got the seven group. But before I continue, actually, I just wanted to mention one more point. What was their requirement for filling this position, to fill this gap? There was a need. What was their requirement? What was their qualification? Those men who are full of the Holy Spirit and close to God. That's the requirement. It's not whether you're talented or skilled. I've heard so many times, yes, but I don't have skills, I don't have talents. That's not a requirement. You just need to be willing. Daryl spoke about it so, many, so often, and here we see it again in the Bible. Your only qualification is the fact that you're actually willing and that you have a good relationship with God. If you're already serving, are you serving out of your own skill or are you serving out of your relationship with God? Because that's where we need to be. We need to be close to God because then He leads us. That's why even when Jesus left, He said, don't do anything till I send you the Holy Spirit. Because if we do anything of ourselves, it fails. Sometimes I think I do my finances through myself, but still, <laughs> if I have to be honest. But at the end of the day, I'm happy about that because we know we can get an inner spirit, an inner, an inner focus. But let's continue to Acts 6 verse 5 and see what the people had to say about this. And what was said pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, who was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurius and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenon. Sounds a bit like a cheese. Um, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they presented before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they placed their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples grew rapidly in Jerusalem. And a great number of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles amongst the people. Now I know this is a lot to take in. Short version, they chose the people, everyone was happy, great things happened. 
But I wondered about this. Why do they focus on this guy, Stephen? Because there's like Stephen, and then he gets this nice introduction, and then there's also a bit of a conclusion. Stephen did great things. Now, I don't necessarily think that the other guys were not good. I just think that God had a different purpose for Stephen, or he had a bit of a closer relationship. Can we know this? No. So please don't judge the other guys. Maybe God just had a different purpose. But if I think about this, these guys were full of the Holy Spirit. They had all this conviction, and what did they do? They ran the soup kitchen. And then most of you would think, yes, but God's got a calling on my life. He wants me to change the world. He wants me to lead. Yes. But where's their need? Can we really call ourselves Christians? If we say, God's got this calling on my life, I need to be the best worship leader. Or I can be, you know, I need to be the next, next Angus Bucken or the new whatever. I need to plant a church. But you refuse to sweep a floor. You refuse to do anything else because I'm busy, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm, you know, doing this study on on um, all this deeper stuff and God's preparing me and that's great but you need to serve that's what we see here and the thing is it pleased the people these people got involved and I think it's amazing because who are the guys doing the complaining the people receiving but then you have this option of doing something good and then taking it further and now when I read this, you immediately think, okay, so these guys were chosen. Stephen did great wonders and miracles, even though he ran the soup kitchen for all intents and purposes, the, the inner city ministry. or He did great things, and the church multiplied. Not because they did extra church plants, not because they went on an outreach, although all those things are necessary. Please keep my heart when I say this. Yes, all those things are necessary. But how can we grow the church? When we do the small things well, when we distribute, when we share, when we get involved, that's when we can do this. And then we have this idea, okay, now I'm in God's will, like I'm right there. God is working miracles in me. Life is going to be perfect. No, <laughs> because life is not fair. And this is not me saying this is biblical, because the very next verse it says, life is not fair. No, I'm just kidding. But it does say... Then the, mo then the men rose up from then some men rose up from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, Asia, disputing with Stephen. So now all these people were disputing with him, but they were not able to withstand the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated men, so they can't debate him. So now they're getting these guys from you know from all these dark corners and get them to instigate against them, and they say. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and led him to the Sanhedrin, and set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this, is, that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs which Moses handed down to us. All who sat at the Sanhedrin gazing at him saw his face shine as the face of an angel. So what's happening here? They got all these people instigating against Stephen and getting all this lies and, and opposition against him. So everyone is turning against Stephen, but he was the guy sort of stepping up and saying, I'm going to help. But now he's receiving opposition. I don't know about you, but that's happened to me as well, where you try and help people and before you know it, you know, people are like talking behind your back and things are going weird and... And, and you were just trying to be like all godly. And you're like, God, what happened? Like, I'm doing your will and I'm getting all this opposition. Why is this happening? But that's how life works. Is it the devil attacking you? Maybe. Is it some spiritual warfare thing? Maybe. How do we attack it? Do we bind something? 
I don't see this here, but maybe that's an option. But we see so many different things of things, how we can try and deal with this situation. But what is the example set before us by a guy whose face was shining like an angel's? The example that he said, now I'm not going to read Acts 7 for the sake of time because I've got the calendar going and, and all your children are very, very well behaved, I have to say. I haven't heard a single peep, which is brilliant. Um, but what happened for the whole of Acts 7, you see Stephen like giving them their own history and telling them, guys, every time in the past there's been someone, a godly person, you've like dissed him, you sent him away, you killed him, you stoned him, you did this to the prophets, you did this to this. And then at the end of the day, you even killed Jesus who was here to save you, the Messiah you've been waiting for for so long. And when he said this, they stoned him. And it's, I don't know if there's something like a glorious death, but if there is such a thing, I believe this is like my example of it, where you see this guy on his knees being stoned to death with rocks. And this, I always imagined like stones like this, don't get me wrong. And then I saw, you know, ancient drawings of this stuff, of how people used to do it. They like took boulders. It's not like I'm going to throw you with pebbles. It's like rocks. This is terrible. And as they're stoning him, he prays and he says, God, forgive them. In the exact same way that Jesus did on the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but when I face that opposition, that's not my first instinct. And I pray to God that my faith is pushed to that point where when I step into a gap and I try to fill a need, when I really try to do something, that God is able to give me that faith that I need so that I can actually pray for the people opposing me, making life difficult. That's what we're called to do as Christians. And they stoned him and he saw the face of Jesus and it's a terrible death. But then after that, all these people who just stoned him laid their jackets on the, at the feet of a person named Saul. Now the theologians and the historians will tell us that this is a sign that he was the instigator, the leader. And you're thinking, oh, that guy should die. Because he's the leader of the opposition, the, the, the worst guy you can think of. He's the, if I look at South Africa's climate, some people will say it's either political leaders like it's Zuma or it's this guy or it's Daryl Fox or whoever you've got a point that you, someone that you're fighting against, someone who you think is doing something wrong. God uses those people so very often. Because the same person named Saul later becomes Paul when he meets God. And the very next book in the Bible is written by him, the book of Romans. Two-thirds of the New Testament is written by the same guy who helped stone Stephen because he truly met God. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what your skills are, and neither does God. All that God cares about is your passion and your willingness to serve him, to have faith. I know some of you are sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, yes, but I can't do anything because of my past, because I did this, because I did, did that. Really, you've got no, there's no way that you martyred this and this and this. And even if you did, it doesn't matter. If you meet God and God works in your life, because of what happened here and because of what happened after this, we have a Bible that's not this thick, it's this thick because someone got saved. And we can be thankful for that because someone stepped up to the plate and he said, listen, I'm going to run a soup kitchen, which we beforehand thought was a useless job. Now it turns out to be something that 2,000 years later, all of us are talking about. Friends, never wait for that big purpose that God is laying on your heart. Some of you have that. That's wonderful. 
but don't sit and wait for it to happen because that I've done that myself. Seriously, I'm very guilty of that, sitting and waiting. No, but God's got this calling on my life. And then I realized, but till then something needs to happen. You know, a child has this dream that one day I'm going to be an adult and I'm going to drive a car. That's brilliant. But till then you need to eat. Till then you need to sleep. Till then you need to do your homework. Life is a process. There's a reason time goes on. God works in our life through these processes and that's how we learn. Friends, it's never ever too late. It's never ever too late for us to make a difference. God lays small things in our path. You see a friend who doesn't have lunch. You see someone sitting alone in the back of the church. You see someone at work who doesn't, you know, he doesn't converse well. He's that weird guy that everyone talks about, but no one tells him. No one tells him. They talk about each other. Be that guy who buys him a cup of coffee and says, listen, guy, I want to be nice to you because people are starting to talk behind your back. Maybe you should try and do this or maybe just love on him. Maybe go on to the other people and say, listen, guys, get over it. People are different. Some people are equipped for worship. Some people are equipped for admin. Some people are equipped for parking. Some people are equipped for something else. But every time we sit and we have a complaint, I firmly believe we have two different ways of dealing with things. I feel like we have this way of looking this way at life. And we can sit there and we can say, you're doing this wrong. I think we can do that better. We've got this mentality. But I feel instead of doing this, let's rather do this. Let's shine a light. Let's do something specific. Let's try and contribute. Friends, I really want to encourage you. We are in the state where we are dropping balls as a church. And I'm not, this is not a we're doing something wrong sermon while Darrow is away because I feel we're doing so many good things right. All of you have testified to how good this church is and how this community is lifting us up. But as we're growing, we need hands. And not just this church, humanity, Christianity. Let's step up. I think my wife summarized it best once when she said, you know, if you, can't do, if you see a problem and if you can do it better, why aren't you doing it? If you can't do it, better be quiet and help those who are trying. Because every time we see a mistake or we see a fault or we see something that we can improve, help those people who are already contributing or do it better. And please, 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 I implore you, I beg you, do not go to those people and say, okay, but listen, I've got this knowledge, you can do it this way. No. Maybe they've got a reason for that. I'm guilty of this myself and I've told Daryl this before where he's made a decision, because we're close, I can go to him and I, Darrell, I don't think that's, that's the right move. And he's, at times, said, Johan, that's brilliant. Other times, he's filled me into why his decision was the way it was, and that's challenged me to realize that I don't see the other end of the coin. Friends, let's understand that when people make decisions we don't agree with, maybe they have a reason for it. Maybe we're one decision away from making that same decision. So friends, as I start ending off this message, my true heart for, for today is, and what I feel God has laid on our hearts, on my heart to share is, we're in that position where life is growing, we are growing, and it's brilliant. But let's see what we can do. Let's develop. Let's help each other. This church is growing in an amazing rate. We're loving people. We're sending people messages. We're feeding people who just have babies, people who are struggling. And this is truly our heart for today. 
And I want to implore you and I want to beg you, let's, let's develop this. But most of all, don't worry about our skills or what we can do or what faults we can see. Above all else, let's grow in our relationship with God because that is the true focus of everything. So friends, thank you so much for that. I beg and I pray and I, I wish that God just works in all of our hearts. Because this is not a message for you, it's a message to us because I know I fail so often. But God, please bless these people, bless them, and thank you for this opportunity. Oh,